This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com. This is a Paramount podcast. I am Mike Casaza here on a Monday morning calling upon Chris Anderson to drag the mail in, open up, read inside, grab some questions that we can answer. Maybe. I don't know. Slim thing at this time of year. That's the way things go when basketball is going the way it is. And I don't know, Chris, football... Do you want to talk about it? Do you not want to talk about it? Is it too good to be true? Do you just enjoy the the bliss of the unknown? I don't know, but maybe we can get into that at some point. Maybe not right now. Fact is, focus still on basketball. Football's still a little bit down the road, but there's certainly enough interest to power us through not one episode this week, maybe even two. We're going to start with some basketball. But first, the vigil still going on in this basketball team, or do you think we're kind of like, like last rights, maybe, and and maybe they can do something crazy in Kansas City, or is even that too far gone? Is it are we are we are we writing this off right now, or is it pretty close? But we're not quite there yet because there's still the what if out there. Uh, the the what if's going to remain there, I think, until the very end. And I think right now it's I don't want to say we're writing it off, but it's too late in the game for any sort of resume building postseason stuff. The only option is, and this is going to be one of the questions in here, and maybe we're answering it already. Any chance at postseason is a miracle run in Kansas City. And talent-wise, individually and with the players, it's possible. It's just a matter of can they find the consistency? Can they get hot at the right time? Can they gel? Because right now it still seems like they're not gelling together. They're not meshing well together and and just can't stay consistent enough to be competitive. I mean, they are competitive. In this league. They are competitive. Let, let me take that back. But to actually try to put something together long-term over the next several weeks to have a resume. So it's going to have to be one of those Kansas city runs. That's wild. When you think about it, like the best way to get in right now is to go, I don't think five or five is possible. So they're going to have to get out of the bottom four spots and then win four games in four days and probably get some help around them. I don't, I just don't know how they can get enough wins in the regular season. I, I, honestly, that I'm not, I'm not even sure they can expect to do that right now. Just the way that the schedule is and the way they are. Like, I'd forgotten about this. They have two Saturday Mondays left. Like, they haven't won on the road yet. They haven't looked particularly good in the road. They're playing Saturday and Monday twice, and one of them's going to be really tough, and the other one is going to be also really tough. Like, I'm actually ranking one above the other, which is kind of crazy when you think about it, but, like, I think about Kansas State, Iowa State, that's going to be super hard. And does that make Texas TCU easier of the two? No. I mean, maybe easier. It's not easy. But they have two of those left. Those haven't been good for them uh, historically the years, and Two of them left, and they're all road games, too. I can't believe that. Back half of schedule, five road games, four on Saturday and Mondays, four home games. And the home team thing, that kind of got popped on Saturday against BYU. You had your thoughts after the game. A couple days later, anything I don't know, stand up about that? It just seems like BYU, even without two 
players. I mean, one played, one didn't play very well, but like without significant parts, their identity still had their identity. And when I think about that, how much that impresses me based upon what I've seen from West Virginia, which has had its parts. So competent with Jesse Edwards, but has had its parts and just doesn't yet have that identity. Now, this is an impressive showing by BYU. And you go through the stats and you're trying to find things that why and how it happened with West Virginia. And it's just, it felt like, and I said it in my three thoughts, and I said it during the game, that when BYU, who is a volume three-point shooting team, that is their offense, starts out 0 of 7 from beyond the arc, you have to be winning by 5 to 10 points at that, at that juncture in the game. And instead, West Virginia was still losing despite the fact that BYU started 0 for 7 through the first 10 minutes of the game. And it's just cold shooting, poor shooting. They didn't feel like they were passing the ball quite as well. And again, so much of this just comes back to how much of this is a team. Are they a team yet? Have they figured it out and done hard to when guys are in and out of the lineup all year long? And again, might be too late for that. Think about 13 three-pointers, 39 points. 38 points in the paint. Math in my head here says that is... 77, yeah. nine points at the foul line, uh, 86. That's it. That's all their points. Three-pointers, dunks, layups, um, runners, stuff like that, post-ups, and then free throws. No mid-range stuff. Nothing from, like, the short corner inside the line. Just, like, it's either in the painted area or it's behind the arc. Uh, that's not going to get to the foul line very much. And went 9 of 14, West Virginia 9 of 12. So even couldn't make that an advantage in I'm not terribly surprised. It's a, a good team that plays this way and is kind of relentless. And it did seem we were go up 17. Then at six, there's a bank shot three-pointer. West Virginia, I think people say they got like discouraged by that, but it was a five-point game soon thereafter. And then just another guy jumps up and hits a three and gets fouled. Doesn't finish a four-point play, but, you know, five goes to eight. You can only do that so often. And which kind of brings you to this about the team. They, they, they've been down 17, let's say, on the schedule. And can they get to within five or six? Maybe. But then it's so hard just to get back into it in a game or in a season just to get level and then to have to keep going to get above water, never mind get level. Takes a different gear, and I just don't I just don't know. I haven't seen it yet, and we'll see. Huh? So that's the basketball intro there. I don't want to take up too much of the space because there are some questions. I, I would think logical ones that might be hard to answer but are right to ask. What do you say we get into it? Yeah. Can I, hey, can I jump the line? I mean, I get, hey, we're in charge of the podcast, so. Probably, yeah. We get to do what we want. I'm going to ask you a question. You can make it as short of an answer as you want. Okay. Not me. Will West Virginia go winless on the road for the entire season? Remaining no. road games at Texas, at TCU, at Iowa State, at Kansas State. Again, both of those are the Saturday-Monday games you just mentioned. And then at Cincinnati to end the season, to end the regular season. Man. The third time in years. Oh, yeah, I don't, think gonna, I don't think they're going to win. I don't think they're going to win at Cincinnati. I think that's going to be a pretty ferocious game. And Cincinnati probably wants that one back. I don't think that one's going to happen. And I just wonder about the end of the season for West Virginia having to play on the road because who knows what shape or, or status they'll be in. And then those Saturday Mondays are hard. I could see them sneaking out the Texas one because they beat them before and they're going to have a week off and they'll be fresh. That would be their most likely one. Apart from that, Kansas State, um, I, I, I see them winning one of those four. I don't see them going winless. I, th- I think there's, again, I'm not particularly high on the team and its potential from here on out. I just don't think that they're an 0-9 in the Big 12 team on the road. That would be 0-13 away from home this year. And it's, it's two different teams and maybe two or three different seasons, but 
I just think they're better than that. I think they can get the Kansas State game. They could get the Texas game. I just the other team's got to play Saturday, Monday too. Don't forget, like that's an advantage for nobody except maybe the team that doesn't have to travel. I just can't see them going zero four in those two. All right, moving on to the next questions coming from the fans, coming from our VIP subscribers. Um, this one we kind of already answered. I'll just see if you want to add anything to it. Timber Pimp asked, "Does Eilert squad have any hope of postseason play?" And we kind of touched on that. But you got anything else you want to add to it? And they could be an NIT team. Okay. They're not going to play CBI games because this team isn't going to be together next year. There's no benefit for that. They're, they probably wouldn't even be a, like appealing enough for that, attractive enough for that, even though they have this individual talent. But like, I don't think that's going to be recognized across the basketball world. And I just, I, I think probably the NCAA tournament team, that ship is way off in the distance and you're still in the parking lot, never mind on the dock. Um, Salty Dog 8159 asks any inside info on a cook not playing? I mean, it's it's pretty obvious, I think that it has to do with why he was out earlier on. Josh Eiler, after the game, just said that it was a medical condition, that it was out of his hands, that the supervision said they were not comfortable with him playing. If it's a rolled ankle, if it's a stomach flu, you say that. I mean, they would say that. And, in fact, someone asked and said, does this have to do with his prior condition? He said, you know, I don't want to get into that right now. Um, I think a lot of people maybe had lost sight of the fact that just because he was back on the floor, that did not mean that they stopped tracking him and monitoring him. And there's specific ways to do that checkups and, and daily upkeep, I guess you'd say. And then I would, I would assume again, it's not fair, but that's the question here, just based on the, on the answers that we were and were not given something a little bit more serious than a generic basketball injury. It's also strange for me to say that they think he'll be back and they don't know that he'll miss any more time. If something came out of nowhere and he couldn't play, how can you predict that's going to go away? So I don't know. I would think it's unusual. And if you see him on the court, great. If not be concerned and just kind of keep doing what they've been doing with him before about what's best for him. And at this point, do they really need him to play? There's bigger things here for sure. And I think his, his well-being and his safety would be the biggest one. I don't think that's anything bold to say, but anything inside, no, people are not going to spill that stuff. But again, it's not a, it's not a stomach bug. It's not an ankle because I'm pretty sure they would have said that. Um, JAL1234 asks, I do not know how to measure this, but watching the basketball team that they are often less than the sum of their parts. Do either of you see that? I think that's a fair critique. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, and I think that's what I was talking about earlier with the asking about how they can compare and play in Kansas City in the tournament. Skill-wise, individually, talent-wise, like if you just stack this roster up and said, look at who you have and didn't say anything else, you would say this West Virginia team has the talent, or you would think maybe like that top five at least, that is worthy of NCAA tournament consideration. Problem is they haven't been able to play together, fully together, uh, virtually any point this season. I mean, basically had just a couple games, and even then you get in like 50% of Jesse Edwards, 70% of Jesse Edwards, and then as soon as Edwards is back, then all of a sudden a cook a cook is out of game, and so on and so forth. So I, I don't think talent-wise, the individual pieces are pretty good. The sum of the parts is not there. And, and it's not necessarily like, you know, a coaching problem or anything like that. It's more of a, you just don't get a chance to play together. Yeah. It's reps for one thing too. think about how they were in the beginning of the year. Like, Hey, let's not play fast. Cause we don't have the numbers. Let's play zone. Is that their best way to play with their talent? No, but that did like a quarter, a third of a season like that. They get players in after what, nine or 10 games. Now let's play faster. Well, how long does that take? And then but when you're doing that, you can't do your inside outside outside stuff. You can't really stick with man and play around Jesse Edwards on the inside because he gets hurt. And now you're playing with a four at the five, really with no rotation at four or five. 
And then let's just say that no matter what their identity was, fast, slow, they had like pillars, a couple of guys who were going to play. But the people who played around them or like supporting parts, you know, your Josiah Harris's, your Seth Wilson's, you know, maybe a Cook of Cooks, guys like that. I mean, never, ever got on firm land here this year. Never did. And never could like get their footing and push off into something else. So identities are one thing, but, you know, that could be overrated sometimes, like especially with West Virginia. Who are they? What are they going to do? I don't know. Well, neither do they. And if you're trying to figure out like from day to day what you're going to do, it's really hard to build game plans and and get your marching orders if it just changes so much. And then because I think so many people are trying to get right or who are trying to fit in, and that means a lot of people who have the ball or are going to get shot, shots up in the air, that takes away from other stuff around you too naturally. And basketball is weird. Like if you struggle on one side, you're probably going to struggle on the other. And they've had a perpetual problem rebounding. So they've never been like clear of the docket. Like their problems have always been there somewhere. It just seems like they've never gotten everything out of the way where they can go, okay, got this. Let's move forward. And that's that's a huge anchor to drag around for a whole season. Luke Zoolander asks, what is the basketball team's biggest deficiency on defense right now? And what defensive adjustment would you make if you were the coach? I mean, observationally, they don't do anything to disrupt the ball. Like they they don't tip passes. They don't really pressure on people. They played a lot of sag defense, which is kind of like a pack line. And you're, you're dropping off the perimeter because you're trying to keep people out of the paint. And that changes a little bit when Jesse Edwards comes back. But now that they have Edwards and they have a little bit more continuity, um, you know, I'm not sure he's a robust shot blocker right now on one hand. And people don't really mind going at him. Like, uh, Triori just kept backing him down and posting him up the other day, too. So if you could give me one, if they were better on the perimeter, keeping the ball out, just doing something to discourage passes, like too many passes. Like the ball moving by BYU was exceptional on Saturday. And just not a lot of steals, not a lot of deflected passes, not a lot of like jumping into passing lanes and gapping things. And you can watch players too. Like when they guard the ball, they are, they're getting moved like a lot. Like they don't really do anything to disrupt the ball with their hands. Like just poke it in there. Don't hand check the guy, but like do something, get your arms up and out. Don't just backpedal. And you can watch that. That's like a deficiency with some of these guys too. So just for me, they don't do enough to affect the ball. 100%. Every team looks so comfortable. Yeah. Uh, out there like on offense there, there, there's never any pressure and what i'm about to say i'm sure is going to get a contingent of the west virginia fans very excited because they call for it for year no matter what the personnel is or the situation but why not press now now you have more bodies presumably you have actual length like some of these guys on the perimeter that are defending they're not very good defenders but they are long, they are athletic. And if you can just tell them, hey, man, stop worrying about, you know, proper assignments and whether to go over under screens, all that stuff, go get the ball. Let's start trapping. Let's start pressing up. Let's, you know, we're going to make mistakes. They're going to get layups. But half the time, we're going to get some steals. Or maybe we're going to tip some passes, like you were saying. And if you have Edwards, and you would you would need a cook, too. It's kind of one of those things where you want to have two of them. Because that's the other part of it. When West Virginia's press Virginia was successful, a shot blocker. And Edwards and a cook are both or were who are the best shot blockers in the nation. So if you can have both of them back there, presumably just one at a time, um, you can really defend the rim if you go out and you press out on the perimeter too. So I wouldn't, I mean, it's one of those like, what do you have to lose? What do you have to lose by playing scared on defense and, and sagging back and, you know, not pressing the ball? Screw it. You have to push out on them, go for it, see what happens. What's the, what's the worst that's going to happen? You're not going to win a road game? Hey. 
it, just go for it. That, that would be my adjustment on defense right now. Um, next question. Hamilton220 asks, going back to home games here. I'm going to leave this one to you, Mike, since you you have been at a lot of games over the years and you have seen the ups and downs of this program. He wants to know, does the university keep low attendance records? You've been, you know, memorable games. Have you been to any memorable games where you thought this is the fewest people I've seen in the Coliseum for a men's basketball game ever? Mike. I'll tell you, not under Huggins. I was thinking about this, reading the question. And I know that there were some, like when I went to school, they were like, I think like that eight and 23 year or whatever like that, that there was hardly anybody that some of those games, like the last Catlett year that separated for a while. And then I covered the beeline teams. Some of the early beeline years there, they were playing teams that beat them. The weren't like they, they lost to Northeastern and like by far Ron Everhart was the draw for that game because he was coaching Northeastern. Right. Um, and there weren't a lot of people for that. And, and there were just some times that no one knew who they had or what they had in their coach or their team. You're looking at like all these freshmen, like, who is this German Duraso Collins? This German guy, Air Bear. Like, what are we doing here? Like, is this is this a team? We're gonna win in the Big East. And then once that turned, and yeah, they are good. And you know, JD's a pretty good point guard, and Air Bear is gonna play, you know, professional ball in Germany and probably could be the chancellor if he wanted to. All that stuff kind of came together. Oh my gosh, Mike Gansey, Pitts not fish, your beeline, all that stuff. And all of a sudden it took off. And that really never leveled, I mean, never like went the other way because the handoff from Beeline to Huggins. Basketball is a big deal. Um, they've had good crowds this year. I can't remember times where it's been just like as resigned to a loss or something bad happening as this year. Um, I do think that there's a potential, or I thought there was a potential, for this team to have like a great home court advantage because people really wanted it to happen for them. Um, it didn't, didn't happen, but the other team doesn't really care about that so much, and they, they get excited about coming here and winning. But I, I would say this has been a long time since they've had low numbers that they might be looking at for the last couple of home games here, which is kind of unfortunate for the team and the coach and the process here, because it's not going to look good for evaluation purposes. But I would probably go back to those late Catholic years, early beeline years. It certainly wasn't during the Huggins years. Um, you know, their games like beginning of the season against UMBC always had pretty big crowds. His 800th win, I think, had 8,888 people. It didn't. But, like, it, it had enough that they were like, okay, we can have fun with the number here. And, like, that was a, an early season game against a nobody team. It's been a long, long time like that. Does one stick out? There was one in one of B, maybe Beeline's first season against. I had to look it up. But I want to say that there was, like, maybe less than 6,000 or something like that. But that's a low number that just doesn't happen here very often. Hard one to answer, but, like, I just I can't think of a time um, like that last Catlett year in their maybe first or second Beeline year. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. That's where I'm looking. I'm going back and looking at the official attendance numbers. Mm-hmm. And I think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, um, you know, they changed how they reported. Like I think maybe back in like 2001, which is what I'm looking at here, 2000, 2001 season, they reported based on actual butts in the seats. And now they re- maybe report by tickets sold because they said there was 11,700 in the Coliseum on Saturday and 10,000 something on Wednesday uh, for the game against Cincinnati. I'm looking at some of these numbers from 2000 and 2001. This is November 21st, 2000 against American. Gail Catlett's not his last year, but next to last year, maybe 2,683 people in that game. Hmm. Like, some really low numbers there. And, and I think, you know, I don't know if that's just apathy about the game, maybe some changes because it's, I don't think they, they haven't really changed the seating capacity at the Coliseum over the years, uh, like since then, have they? I mean, they say no, but they they definitely have crunched some seats. Like I have the club level. Um, there used to be yeah. seats like all the way through, like what the Club 35 is. So, um, well, so have, it would have been yeah. bigger back then. And sure. so that's even fewer people there. Just wild. Do you, do you have these numbers here? Um, Beeline's first season would have been oh two oh three. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, because oh two oh one oh two was the eight right. and twenty season for Catlin. Okay. There was an there was an NBA guard who went to um, a small school. Um, whose name was um had a funky shot. Uh, Kevin Martin, who went okay. to yeah. Western Carolina. Okay. I remember that like scouts were at that game and he was supposed to be like an NBA player, a good player. And and there was like 3000 people there for that game. But I remember that yeah. just because the scouts and there was an NBA player who was coming. Yep. 3,861. That was it. So, I was going to say 63, but okay, fine. 61. <laughs> but um, yeah, for, for, for the purpose of this question, I don't know how the reporting goes, but you know, those numbers that you're seeing back in 2000, 2001, 2002 range, like you were talking about, we're talking like the the lowest one I saw was like I think it was twenty eight hundred or whatever I said with that game against American, but we're talking twenty eight hundred to forty eight hundred several times a year in two thousand two thousand one two thousand two, and now I'm looking at the numbers again. This is as reported by WVU presumably mm-hmm. um, home games. Like what's the lowest one I'm seeing here? Nine thousand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nine thousand something for Bellarmine. So. Again, I don't know if that's a difference in reporting or just, hey, guys, guys are going to be more interested in West Virginia now than they were then pretty much no matter what. Um, I think that same year, that Belon's first year, they played a home game on Super Bowl Sunday, too. That that couldn't have been a big number. All right, next question. Um, Butler Ear asks, I think we've touched on this one before, but look, we can give an updated version of this. How many of the current basketball players will be back next year? I believe Raekwon, Quinn, Cook and Jesse are out of eligibility. I believe Noah has another year. Can you give us some answers? Uh, Slazinski could apply for a medical to get a sixth year. He said that at the beginning of the year, and he said that, uh, granted, this is in October, but his inclination was to do that and to get the year back. After this, I don't know, but like, I don't know that he could transfer someone else somewhere else and play. Um, Kresa has a year. Seth Wilson has here. I'm looking at their photos now on the on the poster in my office here. Um, that is, Bembry has more time. Sumnick has more time. Slazinski could. Edwards, a cook, gone. Ofri Nave, yes. 
Harris, yes. Battle, no. Kobe Johnson, yes. Farrakhan, yes. So much, much of the team could be back. Bembry, one. Farrakhan, two. Harris, Johnson, Risa, Nave, up to six. Slavinsky, if he puts in for the sixth year, seven. Wilson, Seth Wilson, eight. And Sumnik, yes. does he have a COVID year still? Yes. So up to nine. But how many? I think I, I think we said three. With a, we we let the line at three and a half when we answered this question earlier in the year. Do you still feel comfortable with the over under of three and a half? It's gonna be right around there. Like I would yeah. I would say it's probably under. Yeah, because like I'm pretty sure Creasy can graduate and go. I would assume that Seth Wilson and Kobe Johnson would be graduating and going if they wanted to. Obviously, Josiah Harris has graduated. He can go. And he's also a first-time transfer guy. So these guys are all – Wilson, Johnson, and Harris would all be first-time transfer guys. So would Nave. Prisa could use his grad transfer and go if he graduates. Bembry would have to graduate and go. Sumnick would have to graduate and go. I don't think Slazinski would have a move somewhere else because I think he used his graduate transfer to get here. So it's going to be hard for some of those guys to move. So let's go – Let's go on the under. What do you think? Three. Yeah, that's it. It, it. It's it's a good number to set it at because yeah, I don't think much has changed over the last six weeks since we answered it last time. But yeah, three and a half sounds like a good number. Oh. Um. All right. By the way, new into... coach is going to get to make his roster too. Oh, here we go. That's where that's where the next question is from S Curry WVU. With the likelihood that we have a men's basketball basketball coaching search in a month or so, what are your thoughts on potential candidates? Not a hot board. Not a hot board. More coaching style and system. Do you think that matters? And if so, what would work best for WVU in the new Big 12? Is that your hot board? My list. Been curating it for a while. Um, just on you content. know, there's going to be people that are going to screenshot now that we're doing video pod, they're going to screenshot that and zoom in. Like, yeah. Let me see that curated across time. Um, starting from last year, some people who would be on the list last year and again this year, some people who are on it this year, and just things I've heard from people who've heard. So, there are certainly some candidates there. Their identities, listen, we've, we've got a pretty good thread in our VIP board. This is a good time to, to tout the special, Chris. Yeah, 75%, 75%. off. Get in there. Um, Andrew Corbett does a pretty good job with lists of people that are on this list, but also not on the list that he's certainly qualified to have his list and to opine about that. But a lot of names there that you are worth um, paying attention to because they're going to be candidates for this job and for other jobs and, and good players would uh, be interested in transferring or recruiting, being recruited by and signing with the, uh, the coach on that list. Who's going to be in charge here. Um, I have some ideas about who I think it could be just on connections from Rem Baker from last time, from who we would have liked to go for last time but couldn't because of the timing. Again, these are all pretty, I think, not surprises, but some of them might intrigue you. And I think you're going to see, like, sitting head coaches from recognizable programs. Will they go from a group of four to a group of four? Maybe. I don't know what would be prohibitive about getting somebody from the ACC, SEC, Big Ten to come to the Big 12 and play. Are you going to pull John Shire out of Duke? No. But, like, could you talk to Brad Underwood? Yeah. So there are some things like that that I think would be interesting to a lot of people that, again, you could find on the board and list there. Like, I could list you off names, but that doesn't do me any good. Um, pretty sure that, like, 
a lot of people will be on this and they're going to have a similar list. So it's not like my list is proprietary and special, but I think that you're going to look for somebody who it fits a certain profile, has experience, probably has been successful in the portal, but also in developing players across time. And if you can juggle with two hands here, here's my portal class, but I'm also developing these people on the side and found a way to put it together. I think that's going to be good because West Virginia is, I won't say mid-major, but like, it's never been, let's get a bunch of four and five star guys at once and play. And that isn't even the way of college basketball right now. So in some regard, it works out for whoever the coach is because you're kind of coming into what you have done for what this job prescribes. So sitting head coaching experience, um, I would say, you know, that roster management skill is going to be good. And then I don't know, Chris, if you had to if you had to put a, the checkbox, if you had to check a box on one side here, only one. To be successful in the Big 12, again, you're going to have to know how to navigate this league and the travel and, and go head-to-head with these coaches. You're going to have to have a flair for developing and acquiring talent. That's universal. But you're going to do one of these. Do you want to have an offensive identity or a defensive identity? Mm, offense. In the Big 12? I think you're right. Yeah. I just You can't win games like 67 to 61. Like You're going to sometimes, but... Some of these games get so, so frenetic and everything. And I was watching with interest, wink, wink, the uh, Butler-Creighton game the other night. That was like 99 to 98 in regulation. And it was fast and it was fierce and back and forth. It was really well played until like the final couple of seconds where it kind of came off the rails. But just watching that on a Friday night going, wow. And those are both teams that want to play defense. And rang up almost 100 points each because they're really good in offense. And you're going to have to do that. And that's going to be a tournament thing. That's going to be a regular season thing. And I think it's much easier to recruit to an identity on offense. And I think it's much easier to get people to come in who have offensive skills that will fit in. And you can teach them just enough defense or teach them a team concept on defense. Um, I don't know how fun or exciting or successful it is to find guys who just love playing defense. If you want to get seven of those guys in your team, oh boy, what are you going to do with the other six spots, right? That's going to be hard to do. So I'm with you. I think you have to have an offensive identity for a head coach. You touch on why I think that is because of the talent acquisition part. It's it's no secret here that I'm I'm a Jimmy's and Joe's guy. And I think um, with that, you're like, hey, look, look how we score points. Look how we do this. That is easier to pitch to top talent, whether that's high school kids, junior college kids, or even transfers. Like they're going to want to show that off. I know hey, everybody loves Javon Carter. I'm right there with you. We all love Javon Carter, but there are those kind of players are few and far between. Like that's the exception. Um, you're gonna have to pitch offense to the the best talent out there. And if you want to win consistently at the highest level, you gotta find the best talent. So I think it's best to put put forth your best foot with offense than it is defense at this point in time. Mike, you have, name- you have names? No. I, I leave the hot board to you. I, I, I do a recruiting hot board. I'll leave the coaching hot board to you. And it, I mean, you saw you saw Andrew created that one thread, and now it's on like half a million views and thousands of posts of people arguing. I'm good. I'm good. I'll leave that to you guys. Um, Yidio10 asks, how would you rate the basketball assistant coaches and individual jobs they've done so far? Also, there really hasn't been much said about James Dickey since he was hired. Any inside info on how involved he has been thus far? Um, I think he's kind of like your advisor. He can help you out and some stuff. Um, what let me do. look. You mind if I cut in? Is is this like the like the Billy Hahn role, the old Billy Hahn role for Huggins, or more in depth than that? 
You know, it's probably like, yeah, I guess so. Like maybe more official where you don't have to worry about having to whisper or like quietly have the conversation because there, there's there are rules about what like a director of operations could do during a game and all that stuff. It's very strange. This is a guy who's like, he's allowed to be the guy who can whisper in your ear and say, hey, here's what I might do. Or, hey, I remember this time back when I was a Houston coach. And guess what happened? We were in a similar situation and we did this. Like, you can do stuff like that. And that's his role. Does he want to go out and recruit and do a whole bunch of on-the-road stuff or, and just be like a, a a revved-up assistant coach? Maybe he does, but he's not doing that here. He doesn't have to. Maybe he doesn't want to. So um, he's kind of like the wise man in the room, I would guess, which is good when you look at the staff and the experience they have. you got to have somebody who can do that. Um Listen, I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't know much of anything about what the assistant coaches are doing because I've talked to Ruoff, Butler, and uh, McCabe once this season. It was in November. And if we're being honest, like look at their record and look at the way they play and they come into and they react to certain situations. This is a young staff that has acted like a young staff at times. I mean, that's that's not an insult. Just like things happen. You're like, wow, timeout, rotation, gimmick tactic change something like that and and sometimes it's just so hard the first time through for a lot of people here and it's not josh's first time and it's not necessarily alex's first time and gosh knows they all played a bunch and have seen enough games but like to be actually doing it it's hard but like i can't i mean chris do you have a thing that stands out and you're like wait a minute mike you dummy don't you remember this where they did this one thing i don't know um they look prepared so i'm guessing their scouting reports have been good I've also seen some times where like they've had players in the game who just haven't been performing well, or you looked at combinations or matchups. You're like, ah, boy, how'd that happen? And, and maybe a plan went wrong or maybe it was the right plan and the players didn't do it. So I put a lot of stuff on players sometimes, which makes this a hard, a hard conversation to have, because while I just said, it's a young staff and maybe it doesn't know or even couldn't know as much right now as you'd like. Those guys know a lot about basketball from players and their own experience. And I just think that like sometimes you want stuff to work with players, but the players have to do it. And is that a reflection upon the coaching? I don't know. Nothing about what has happened this year. It makes me say that one, two, three assistants have done terrific jobs. That doesn't mean they've been bad either. I hope that makes sense. It's kind of hard for me to really know without being under the hood with a lot of this stuff here too, which again, when you're, kept at arm's length it's really hard to do stuff like this uh, in an evaluation but i also think that i don't think they've led him into like deep waters on accident either i just think it just hasn't worked out for a whole bunch of reasons that we all know about and they're obvious it doesn't mean they're not valid though i'm with you i don't know what to really take or make of what they've done this year like west virginia's struggles this year I don't put any of that on, you know, the assistant coaches or anything like that. And and how much have they helped? It's hard to tell. Like you said, we haven't been able to talk to them much. You see during the games, they're kind of rotating who is talking to the players during some of these timeouts. Sometimes it's Alex Ruoff. Sometimes it's Demar Johnson. Sometimes it's Eilert. Sometimes it's Butler. And, you know, so me personally, I haven't gone back and checked to see what the uh, stretch of basketball play was like in the next four minutes after each of those timeouts to really compare. Maybe that's something can do if we get bored one day but um it's hard to tell how much of an impact that has and then the other part of that is recruiting and really as far as recruiting goes you know i hear that you know jordan mccabe is offering a few kids over the phone or something like that every once in a while and that's about it but what do you expect them to do like hey we're here first time coaches working for an interim coach for a team that's in bad shape right now with no idea who the head coach will be next season I don't know how you're supposed to recruit with that. Like you're asking them to do the impossible. So I don't, I don't know if we can even judge them on any of that either. Or I know we can't because that's just not fair. 
McCabe and Ruoff work at the guards. Johnson works with your wings. Butler works with your bigs. And I think you could look at a couple of those positions and say, all right, you know what? I'm, listen, Crease has played fairly well lately, I think. And I, maybe he hadn't um, thrilled people with the way he played. But I think once he got his 6'11 rim runner back, all of a sudden he became a little bit more effective. Um, Kobe Johnson's had his moments. Noah Farrakhan has been up and down. But like you could see something with the guards. The, the bigs, somebody's got to get credit for Pat Sumnick, right? Like you have to do that. And and certainly Deshaun's been juggling things there too with a guy who's not a five and guys who aren't fives playing the five while he's waiting for his, you know, all conference quality big to come back. And and Edwards playing with one hand has been okay. Um great one game and okay another game and not so good the first game. So give him again some qualification in your evaluation there. Like you have to look at who he has. And the wings, you know, I, I think they'd like to have something more predictable. Never mind more prolific or more, more potent out of a Raycon battle, but just something that's a little bit more predictable. Um, I don't know that you would call – I mean, who else is a wing? Josiah Harris has been – you know, when they break the glass and they put him in, um, he's had some moments there. Maybe that's a guy who deserves more PT. But you can look at certain things and have critiques, but also you could have, you know, some level of satisfaction to his position. Oh, Mike, I think – that covers all the basketball. Yeah, I'm looking through here. Football, 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 football. Football's not even going on right now, and we have more football questions than basketball. So Coming back we're going to have to save all those for the, the next podcast, but we're going to get to all of them. I promise all of you we will answer every single question that was in the thread when we started recording. Um Again, most of these next ones will be in the football-centric podcast. They'll go out later in the week. And two of them, I think, are going to be three-minute videos. So keep an eye out for those as well. One more question for you. Yeah. Got two minutes here. Open week, no game. Sometimes you'll have like a Monday to a Saturday. But this is a Saturday to a Saturday. Um, You're talking about, hey, let's press. I'm talking about, you know, hey, get on the ground and try to figure out an identity. We've we've all noted like their playing rotations and, and, you know, combinations in the floor. It's really hard in the season to kind of like sit down, catch your breath, and work on that stuff. They have that time now. Do you see a different version of the team? Or is that the last thing they can afford to do is to reinvent the wheel one more time and they just have to figure out, all right, here's what we've been doing. Let's get better at it. How do you use this week? It's tough because I think, you know, yeah, they asked Tyler about this in the postgame. I don't know if they talked about it in the postgame with you guys, but on the radio, and he said they're going to take a couple days off, come back, work one day on themselves and then turn their focus to Texas, which tells me even though it's a week, you really only have one day if we're, you know, working on yourselves. So I, I'm expecting the same thing then, you know, I'm not expecting a drastic change. I think there, there's an opportunity there, but then you have to weigh the pros and cons of getting some rest or trying to change things up. And it seems that Eilert and his staff have decided you know, the rest may be more important than trying to, as you put it, reinvent the wheel. Yeah. So Sundays, they're weekly, Mandatory day off. You figure, come back Monday. You have a two-day prep for a team. That's Thursday, Friday. So you could do a Monday to yourself, and Tuesday, Wednesday is like Camp WVU, or like let's just watch a lot of film. Let's try walking through something new. and Or you can just kind of like get the rest, get your legs back underneath because you have a Saturday, Monday coming up. That'll be difficult. We won't know until Saturday. We'll figure it out. We hear from Josh and some players beforehand. Might be covered before that with some football as well. Plenty going on on the site. Check it out now. 75% off VIP access. Until then, I am Mike Casaza. I'm Chris Anderson.
talk to you then.